When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. Third and five. The Titans have been in some one-sided losses, and they got to keep it out of the end zone. Nice move by Harvin. Okay, my head is spinning already. 36 Hours of Purple continues, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. And boy, Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group, you picked a great time in our lives to sponsor 36 Hours of Purple because so much is happening already right now. So let me just gather myself to give you what Josina Anderson reported, and then we'll get to Percy Harvin, and then we'll carry on with lots on the show today. Uh, Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports is going to come on. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. We will discuss the potential madness of draft night. But Josina Anderson, who has been kind of leading the way here on reporting on this uh, situation with Trent Williams, she has a report that I am pulling up now on my computer because I... Kept scrolling on Twitter. Okay, here we go. So, uh, a well-placed source has told Josina Anderson that the Vikings expressed some interest in Trent Williams a month ago, but nothing has transpired from there. And uh, Trent Williams is looking for a trade, and it seems like things are heating up. She reported earlier today that things are going in the right direction for Trent Williams to be traded. And Josina Anderson adds that Rick Spielman, uh, that she talked to Rick Spielman on the phone, and he said that Riley Reef has been a good player at left tackle, so he will possibly continue to play left tackle, but we will see if anything possibly changes there. So that is the latest on Trent Williams. We also have a report that Percy Harvin wants to come back into the NFL, which is along the lines of didn't see that coming, but I guess I'm not super shocked as much as it was for Rob Gronkowski to be coming back yesterday. So this is a wonderful time in our lives where we are going to have a flood of news. And uh, also, by the way, did my final draft simulation at scorenorth.com, and we're going to break that down as well. But I want to get to this Percy Harvin thing, uh, Judd, unless you have a reaction to it being unlikely that Trent Williams is going to be a Viking. Let's get to Percy. I love it. Okay. Let's do it. What do you think? You want him back? Uh, No, absolutely not. But I covered him the the first time, and that guy was a pain in the butt, but he was a dynamic player, right? I mean, he was 2009. 
uh, returned a couple of uh, kickoffs for touchdowns, a, a dynamic presence, and he was that for his first few years. All of that being said, he now hasn't played for three years, Matthew Collar. He's 31. Uh, he didn't leave here on good terms. He kept getting into shouting matches with Les Frazier, which is as hard to possibly do. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Les Frazier is one yeah. of the most salt of the earth, greatest guys. Um, so at the age of 31, I'm not going to take that risk. Now, if I thought the Vikings were on the precipice of being a Super Bowl team, I might say, hmm. take a look. But I don't really see that. So I think that this is probably, this would be Rick Spielman probably saying, yeah, I could make that phone call, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, so about you? I don't agree. I think that they should at least make the phone call because, <laughs> because yep. Percy Harvin is not that old. So you're, you're talking about him like 31, 32, as if that is ancient, but with no mileage on his body over the last couple of years. And the last I saw of Percy Harvin was in Buffalo, and he was getting along with everybody okay. He just had another injury that took him out, and uh, that was the end of his time in Buffalo, and then nobody wanted to touch him after the injuries. But he's also seemed to have gotten himself into a good place in the world, which, you know, uh, with Richie Incognito, a lot of us said, oh, man, would never want that guy on our team, not in a million years. He's going to blow up that locker room. It's going to be a mess. And then Oakland signs him, and he's great, and he's one of the best left guards in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Vikings left guard is getting run over by a Mack truck every other night. You think, well, maybe if you had signed Richie Incognito, he might have been good, and you might have been able to slow down Zadarius Smith and Akeem Hicks and the other guys who have annihilated the interior of your offensive line because sometimes in football, to get talented players, you just have to take risks, and it does blow up in your face sometimes. But if Percy was going to come to TCO Performance Center when we are virusless, I guess, uh, and he was going to run around some cones, have Kirk throw him some passes on some routes, or maybe we'll have Sean Mannion do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we just get to see what's the explosiveness like at this point. How hard's he been working for this? How much does he care to come back? He is one of the most unique players that has ever set foot on an NFL field. And there are very few people that you could put the ball in their hands and they have the chance to go all the way every single time. And he's one of them. Can you imagine if Percy Harvin was drafted now? Like 2009, he came in. And he did a ton of stuff. Yeah. And and to the Vikings' credit, I think they were very smart in the fact that he sometimes would play the outside, yep. would play in the slot. I think he would line up in the backfield occasionally. So it's not like the Vikings didn't utilize his attributes. Yeah. But can you imagine this guy now, if he came out of Florida and was drafted by a team like the Chiefs, and, and with how far football has come since 2009 in thinking and how how potentially dynamic he could be in the way the league operates offensively now coming out of college. How about his 2011 season? I think that that would probably be the most reflective of what he would be when uh he um you know if he had come out now and what he could have been throughout the rest of his career had these other issues not popped up, but in 2011 87 receptions and 52 rushes for a total of 1,300 yards from scrimmage. I mean... This, this is a guy that I'm, I'm very interested in. And now we uh, bring in our friend Sage Rosenfels to uh, carry on the conversation here. So, Sage, I don't know if you saw the report, but uh, Percy Harvin says he wants to come back to the NFL. And because he's Percy Harvin, I'm interested. What do you think? 
well, he's a rare talent, and those don't come around very often. And he's a guy that, you know, the way he ran uh, with his speed is just rare, but also the way he was sort of fearless and and physical. Uh, So, and he's a guy that's not just a, you know, a wide receiver slash sort of running back at times. He's obviously a very good kickoff returner. Uh, He's one of the fast guys in the league. I was interested in the report that said he weighed 185 pounds. From what I recall, that seems a little bit light to me from what, you know, the way he played it. You know, it was a long time ago. It was 2009. It was... 11 years ago, but uh, guys like that can do it for a long time. We've seen guys like Adrian Peterson uh, do it for a while. And, and, you know, Percy might be the the type of player that, you know, a lot of injuries in his career, and now he's taken a step back from it, and probably his body feels great and he's fully healed, and he thinks he can, you know, restart this thing. And i got to think teams will be interested because he is that rare talent. Yeah, he is listed at uh, 200, 5'11", 200 on, you know, pro football reference, but who knows exactly what weight he would have played at but um you know like you said he's he's not that old it's not like we're talking about someone who's 38 and is saying give me that next kick at the can and i i think if you're the vikings it's worth at very very least just making a make, making a phone call right and just like <laughs> hey so so percy you know did you have I any restaurants so. that you like to in, to go to in minnesota you want to come back and have dinner and just maybe get on the field run around a little bit i would want to see it because there are very few human beings like this guy he knows the lay of the land and and i i think there was plenty of his, a success that he had when he was here and some fond memories and he fits exactly what the vikings need they need a vertical threat uh, they could probably use another kickoff returner. Um, maybe he'd be doing other things as far as uh, some slot receiver stuff. He was really good at those types of deals. And so uh, I think he'd be a good fit for this football team. Um, he's not a you know, 50-50 ball on the outside, the things that you see Thielen do, or Stephon Diggs or some of the other receivers. But his, his vertical speed is, is rare. And you can find guys in the draft and give up a lot of draft capital, but I imagine signing Percy Harvin would not be very expensive, and I think that compensation would be well worth it. Sage, what was uh, Percy like in 2009, and and did the disintegration of his relationship with the team, which I know you weren't around for the whole thing, but did that, in your mind, was that more born of, of his own problems or a combination of his problems and, and also uh, that Brad, as you pointed out before, might not have been the easiest guy to get along with consistently as head coach of that team. You know, my history going back with Percy was before the draft, uh, maybe it was a week or two before it, I, I stepped into Coach Stu's office. He was a wide receivers coach, and we talked about some of the wide receivers that they were looking at. And he really liked Percy Harvin and got to know him. Uh, and 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 thought and it seemed like to me like that's the guy that we're trying to go for. And on top of it, that we knew he would slide some. Uh, he we knew he was one of those guys that had a little bit of baggage. I mean, he tested positive for weed at the combine, which I, GMs have told me it's not the end of the world if they do that. It's more of like, are you this stupid? You can't get your act together for like a month as you live to the most important job interview in your life, in which you know you're going to be tested. Like that, you know that that concerns people. But, uh, um, you know, but when we did draft him. So, anyway, I watched film with, with, with Coach Stu, and it was play after play after play. You know, a lot of shallow crossing routes. Tebow didn't throw the ball on the field very much. So, but it was get the ball in this guy's hands and make him make a play. He is the classic playmaker with the home run ability, and uh, you just got to get the ball in his hands. And so, you know, going on into the season, we ended up drafting him. I actually asked uh, the equipment people, you put him next to me in the locker room because I'd like to try to be sort of the, 
you know, the older quarterback influence on a young guy. Uh, I know where, where he comes from. Uh, Virginia Beach in that area, I believe, or, or Norfolk, I think. Uh, a tough childhood and, and tough uh, uh, way to be raised. And and uh, so, you know, there's there's just a lot of history there. And then there was various issues that, you know, that it's like with management or whatever that occurred over the course of his career. But uh, I always got along with him very well. He was quieter in the locker room. Um, uh, but he was, you know, he wasn't a guy that was like the raw, raw, you know, get all the attention person. He was sort of like, I'm here, I'm, I'm doing my business. And, uh, he was pretty talkative with certain guys in the team. Uh, you know, him and Favre got along extremely well. Favre absolutely just loved the kid. So, um, you know, I, I think it just depends on how you manage him. And are you a jerk that, uh, or are you a guy that understands how to build relationships, create connection? And uh, and I, I think you know he just takes the right coach. And you know Brad Brad was definitely not the right coach for the type of player Percy was. Other than the fact that you know Brad did understand when guys were special talents that you had to find ways to get him the ball. And obviously, again, I and I brought this up last week. I think in the show, whatever Chili was, I think he was a very good talent evaluator, and mm-hmm. he got guys like Percy Harvin, guys with really good talent on the football team. I, I just don't think he did always a great job of coaching some of the great talent that he had. Uh, it's a really interesting point about handling Percy Harvin because when he came to Buffalo, he followed Rex Ryan there. And Rex Ryan was the perfect coach for Percy Harvin. They got along extremely well in New York. And then he came to Buffalo and the... Um, I forget the name of the wide receivers coach, but I interviewed him about Percy and working with Percy. And he said, you know what you have to do is you have to listen to him for one, but you also have to push him intellectually about the position because everyone knows how explosive he is. And they sort of forget that he wants to learn and become more and more of a technician of running routes. So at the beginning of that season with Buffalo, he was starting to do that. And he was blowing people away and and running routes better than he'd ever run. And then he got hurt. And it was very unfortunate that that happened to him because it seemed like he was going to have a renovation of his career. And I also want to know from you, Sage, the perspective that you gain after you're out of the league, like when you're in it and you've always been in football, like how much does that change your worldview? It's huge. It's it's the NFL world, college football, the NFL and NFL football. Uh, It was once described to me as you're on this train and this train is hauling down the tracks, and you're on it. Sometimes you're in the front, in the middle, the back, right? but you're on this NFL train. And then one day either you decide or the train decides for you that it's time for you to be off the train. You get kicked off, and you mm-hmm. stand there, and you stare at this thing that's still hauling down the tracks. And you know some guys maybe have the, at least the ability to take that year, like Gronk is doing, or, or take two years and, and come back, especially when – the guys do, you know, like Percy retired. It seemed like a little young, um, but uh, but to one the physical, the full like year or two years completely off to physically recover, but to go, you know, I think I can still do this, and I think a guy like Percy can. Other guys can't; they're physically done. I, I think Percy probably does have enough in his tank if he would become a much better uh, uh, wide receiver as far as. Uh, crisp route running and understanding coverages and understanding what people are trying to do to him and and he could use that speed to threaten people he wouldn't need to have to be you know the deep guy down the field he try to become sort of a you know it's like a greg maddox in baseball you don't have to throw 95 guy was throwing 80 miles an hour at the end of his career the second half of his career and it was just location and precision well if he can become that type of guy and a great route runner he could probably play for a lot more years because maybe he's not the four three 
you know five guy that he was before, but he still has enough juice and enough strength to, I'm sure, get a lot of separation compared to some of the receivers that I see out there today. Sage, where does uh, Percy rank now just in terms of guys that you played with at that position based on pure athletic talent? Probably the best I – well, no, Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson, sure. best athletic talent, and also maybe the the biggest pleasure to be around uh, as a guy that uh, his personality was blue collar. You know, I mean, imagine a guy with tons of talent, but blue collar personality. That was Andre. Uh, um, so you, you love that as a quarterback because it's so easy. I came out with Chad Ochocinco. I came out with Steve <laughs> Smith. It's so easy to see the, those guys and to hear like Jake DeLone going, man, it's hard playing with Steve Smith. You call a dagger route a 20 yard in and the guy's inside leverage. So he just changes it to a comeback route. Like, how do you see that? You know, and the quarterback gets hung out to dry sometimes. Andre was not, not that type of guy. So a Percy was up there. Very different wide receivers. Andre was an outside just sort of a beast that you just if it was one-on-one he won nine out of ten times hard guy to cover uh, but he was big enough in the inside he'd be sort of physical with the linebackers but you know percy has a speed to him and a, maybe a quickness because andre was six foot three four 230 35 pounds he was he sometimes uh, a struggle to stop like on a comeback route or things on the inside because he was so big almost a tight end's body percy is small enough to change direction and change speed uh, and threaten people on the inside uh, he is a he is a hard guy to cover there is there is plenty of plays this year or in that 2009 year where he'd be in the slot and we'd have an option route on him and and a lot of times you'd break that outside you could sort of hook it up but there's times where the dv had outside leverage and percy would find a way to break his technique and still get outside uh because of his suddenness because of his strength uh because of his quick feet and, and if he became a really really precise route runner he's a guy that could play uh, uh for a long time because of the knowledge is there uh and, and maybe less of that all-out speed um so if is percy harvin calls the viking sage and says hey, give me a shot. Let me come run some routes for you. Let me come show you what I can lift these days. Let me run a 40 for you just to show you. I mean, that I, I can't turn him down. I can't tell him no on that because it's Percy Harvin. I think this has everything to do with Rick Spielman and George Payton and the people that were in the room or in the organization before and yeah. what everyone thinks about yeah, it. Yeah, that's and true. only know they, and whatever they say at the press conferences may not be the truth, but only they know whether they would want to do that or not. Yeah. They're the only ones, and I think after that it's, it's, it's purely speculation. But based off of what the Vikings need and based off of what I feel Percy Talents uh, could be and, 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 and how I got along with him well, and he was a rookie and, and those things, and I got along with him fine. I absolutely no issues with him. Uh, and, and so, but it really depends on what those guys are, are thinking right now. And what really everyone, everyone in the organization, I imagine the Wilfs have an opinion uh, on bringing a former player back. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so we'll see if there's anything to that. He didn't they tried on Moss too, gentlemen. Yeah, I know, I know. And it didn't specifically say that he was interested in coming back to the Vikings. I just think that you check in with him and just to see, because you never know some of these uh, reclamation projects in the NFL work out pretty well. Uh, let me get. We should get Randy Moss to uh, what, what, whatever that. Uh, 
was it Chinese food or something that he, he didn't <laughs> say very good things about? Yes, uh, Tanucci's. When he came back in 2010, Gus Tanucci's. Maybe place. we should find a way for Rainy Moss to buy, like, spend like you know two thousand bucks and buy a hospital, a whole bunch of whatever the restaurant that is, <laughs> as a I'm sorry, and as a thank you to the to the healthcare workers. Yeah, and uh, you, guys, point, you guys work on that deal. Point taken on bringing back old players doesn't always work um, with Randy Moss's second go. Let me get both of your reactions to Josina Anderson report um sage that trent williams was checked in on by the vikings but not necessarily anything happening now at this point i have liked this idea from the very beginning for the vikings i don't think the price is too high and he is a guy that could play four or five more years and still be really good but it sounds like they may have tried to get him too cheap and there are other teams now that are pushing up the price a little bit more and that they are likely now in 2020 to stick with riley reef you know when you're negotiating with somebody, but there's not a hurry to do anything, so there's no reason to drop your value of what you're you know, giving up? Yeah. Uh, this is one of those scenarios. What's the hurry? Why do a deal now when you can maybe do a deal at you know 5 o'clock tomorrow, an hour before the draft starts, whatever the thing? Is it 7 o'clock tomorrow night maybe or something? But there's still time here to negotiate, and there's obviously things that occurred during the draft, and you decided, you know, we're going to... Washington decides to take a tackle. Now we definitely don't need one, and now we, you know, can can ship him on to somewhere else for less value. And maybe the Vikings are waiting for that little discount. Maybe it's a maybe it's you know, a third rounder to a fourth rounder, a fourth rounder to a sixth rounder, whatever it might be. But I think this is one of those times you let the draft and all the the, the um, different business transactions that do occur around draft time, uh, and this is maybe when that deal gets done, even during the draft or right after the draft. When, when everybody has a better understanding of what their roster is going to look like. I mean, we are, we have three, you could say, starting quarterbacks, uh, starting quarterbacks, three starting quarterbacks that are on the market that I think are one of the 32 best guys. you got Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, right? Yep. And, uh, and Andy Dalton, who yep. will be on the market. It, it's, you you got to imagine at some point. So that is super fascinating. Um, with And, again, I think everyone's going through the draft and, and seeing how all that plays out first. So in, in the case of uh, of Trent, I think that probably the compensation going back to Washington is not the problem. My guess is it's the compensation that the player wants, yeah. which yeah. is going to be pretty substantial for a guy who I don't think he's played all 16 games since something like 2015. I like him. I like the idea. But if he comes in asking for a big five-year contract, which is my guess, that's going to be a big price to pay. Guys, it's going to be. It can't be. It's not going to be a two-year deal, though, either. No, I right. You know, but I'm saying. But I'm saying three years. He's going to want. I get uh, the hang-up there. Security. You know? But but I'm becoming more and more convinced that with what's going on in the world today, and with the Vikings holding twelve draft picks in this draft, I really think that we're we're going to find out by Saturday that this is largely a 2021 play. I really do. I think they're going to use a lot of draft picks. Uh, they're, they're going to have no OTAs or camps to develop and install things. They're going to go to training camp um, behind the eight ball with lots of those players. But if ownership is willing to be patient, this could work. But I am becoming I'm becoming convinced that the Cousins contract extension was done just to free up cap space. I still don't like the extension, but I get that part. And that what we're going to see by Saturday night is a team that made a ton of draft picks with the real intention of those guys having developed into good players probably, not in 2020, but starting in 2021. That's my feeling. So the reason I like uh, the, tr- the, the the trade uh, is I think the fact that there is going to be no offseason. 
All right, that makes it, uh, I think, and he'll, I think he's a guy who will step right in and will need very little, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coaching of new scheme. So you love that. You know, if, some, if somehow let's say they draft a rookie or something like that, well, it's this offseason, not having any offseason, I'm super intrigued by how these rookies come in and perform in year one. And the NFL is a year-to-year business. It's hard to go, well, a year from now, maybe we'll make that trade. You're trying to win right now. If you can make your quarterback better by making his left tackle better uh, and, 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 and not give up a ton of compensation for a guy who probably isn't going to play that much this year, right? Might be, a, say, it's a third rounder. Well, you know, again, with the limited offseason, we don't know how much these, these rookies are going to contribute yeah. right off the bat. You want more veteran players. See what the Saints just did? They cut out the entire off season. As of right now, see a training camp. Yeah, I mean, there's Very no weird. Zoom meetings. They're not doing nothing's required. To, you just take care of yourself. Be in great shape. Take care of your families. I'll see you at the end of July if everything goes well. Is that just because uh, the know, offense isn't going to change? Is that why you think? Because veteran like, coach, changing? veteran quarterback, yeah. offense isn't going to change. All those things are the same, mm. you know, and. Probably now when these rookies get drafted, I got to think they're in a different scenario here. They're going to do some yeah, zoom meetings yeah. with those guys, but you know, having a veteran team, the same head coach, the same offense, but the Vikings do have an advantage, same quarterback that is an advantage to have a, a a left tackle who's also experienced, and maybe that's one less young guy you might have to have out there. Um, I I think that trade makes sense. The question is the the long term money over the course of whatever it might be, three years or four years that he might want, and, you know, is it worth it to spend that much on that position? And how it goes with, you know, with the, with the current situation at left tackle and the, the financial numbers, that's not my expertise. I wish you could trade, like, some of their salary, too. I don't know how that works. Like, you know, could could they trade Trent Williams, but Washington pays for $10 million of the salary? I don't know how all that works with salary cap stuff. That's not my, my specialty. But I, I think he makes this football team better, and, he think he makes it better this year, and that's all that really matters. Yeah, they would rework his deal, I'm sure, so it would have a lower cap hit for this season and make it so it wouldn't be as much of a hit. Um, but now it seems like that's a little more far-fetched. I liked the idea. I thought the price was fairly low, and any tackle you draft, they might not, at their very ceiling, they might not reach what Trent Williams still is by their third or fourth year until they start to fully develop, because it does take a while. As you've seen for Brian O'Neill, we're two years in, and he's just starting to now be the guy that you want him to be uh, as your right tackle, which is even easier than left tackle. So let's take a break. Uh, Sage Rosenfels, Judd Zolgad. Um, Judd, thank you for popping in and giving your Percy Harvin perspective. Thank you. Um, and when we return, Sage grinds the tape. You have been grinding and tweeting the tape. So let's find out what you discovered about this quarterback class. When we return, you're listening to our 36 Hours of Purple, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. Hey, Score North listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North is all in for Vikings draft week. 
We are in the middle of 36 hours of purple starting this morning at 11 a.m. and running all the way through the first round of the NFL draft tomorrow night. Yes, you heard that right. 36 straight hours of purple talk presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group this Wednesday and Thursday right here on Score North, scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app, also on that Score North mobile app and over at scorenorth.com for free. We've got all your Vikings draft coverage you could want, including Matthew Collar's seven-round mock draft that he ran. He ran a mock draft simulation. He's got that and the analysis of that over at scorenorth.com, as well as Judd Zolgad's article on whether the Vikings should have interest in bringing back Percy Harvin. That's all for free over at scorenorth.com. You can go check it out for free, as well on the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. People are not super thrilled with the draft sim, I have to tell you the truth. But you know how I do it. When I do a draft sim that I'm going to write about, I run it once, I do the picks, and then I write about them. I don't say like, oh, that one didn't go the way that I wanted, so let me change it. I just run it straight up, and this one people are not all that pumped about. Um, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, 36 hours of purple. We started this morning, and we will carry on deep into the night, and then, of course, tomorrow, all of our coverage uh, throughout the NFL draft and Friday night as well. So I am trying to conserve my vocal cords and do the best we can for all the football that you need. Um, So, Sage, you've been grinding the tape. You've been tweeting out videos. You've been analyzing things, breaking it down. You tell me where you want to start with your most interesting findings from grinding the tape as we approach the NFL draft. Um. Well, this morning, I am trying to think. Well, Anthony Gordon, I watched this morning for about an hour and maybe longer. And I know I worked with the kid. But the funny thing is, before I worked with him, I never really watched much of his film. I just get this sort of raw kid, and you hear he throws for all these you know yards and plays and whatever. And I can't tell you how I'm impressed with I am with him compared to some other guys that I see and the way he throws the ball, he was he was drafted uh, by by a major league baseball team, um, uh, coming out of high school, and he has that that thing in him. You know, Pat Mahomes was also a baseball player. His dad, obviously, a former twin, and the ability to change your throwing motion or to to stick your foot in the ground and just let it go. Mm-hmm. He has his a quick release is underrated. If you're a quick release and accurate, it's amazing what you can accomplish in the National Football League. You don't have to have this huge arm, and he has those things. He moves around the pocket well. He Another thing, by the way, is just watching Mike Leach film because you're, you're going to see these sort of long plays that are hard to run in the NFL. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I went from him to Joe Burrow, and, you know, in the SEC, you got to get the ball out. That's yeah. like a, co- yeah. a conference of just NFL defensive ends on every single football team. The Pac-12, you just don't see that in the Oregon State film, you know, playing Washington State. So you see these longer routes, and the quarterbacks have more time. But the way he just sort of moves around the pocket and floats back there, and you know, they don't have precise footwork, but that can be taught. Um, but his vision is really good, his feel around the line, and then the quick, accurate throws that he makes and some impressive throws – uh, and uh, and so I'm very impressed by him, and and I I really do think like the New Orleans Saints would be a great spot for him, backing up Drew Brees, another guy that's not huge, um, and another guy that uh, has an offense that seems like quarterbacks always go in there well and, and, and play Sean Payton. You know, I, I put up Sean Payton as maybe the top, a top three four guy that I would mm-hmm. want to play for 
in the league if I was a quarterback, maybe maybe all the way up there. I mean, Breeze does not have some crazy arm, but but uh, you know, quick diagnosing of the defense and, and concepts and, and crisp routes and just the way they do things, they put up consistently good numbers all the time, and that would be a really good spot for him. Again, you know, of course, I'm you know sort of uh, have an interest in him doing well, but teams don't have him. Most teams that I've heard have him as a sixth or seventh round pick. Mm-hmm. A couple teams a fifth round pick. And I'm looking at all these quarterbacks and some of these guys that people I like have going high, and I'm sitting there going like, "He, this kid makes a lot of plays and a lot of really, really tough throws," and uh, and, and I'm very, very impressed by you know watching him play. The more and more I watch him, he just doesn't have those like combine type numbers. So. That was the guy this morning. I'm going to put up some videos that I made this morning uh, on him uh, this afternoon after the show. Uh, I'm trying to get some Jordan Love film in because he's this sort of hot prospect that's widely unknown because he's out of Utah State. Going to try to get him and maybe give Justin Herbert one last uh, a go at it and and these sort of these top guys. My son and I, who my son, of course, is usually in school when I'm watching film, now he's home, so he got to sit there, and, and he goes, How's, how good is Joe Burrow? So we watched Joe Burrow against Auburn, and he's super impressive. I mean, he just, it's subtle, but he does a lot of really good things, and he's very accurate, and you love that accuracy, but he just he moves around a little bit and, and does just enough, and he gets the ball out quick, which I love about him. I like guys who get the ball out quick, and he just doesn't miss a lot of throws. And so I was, I was really impressed by Joe Burrow uh, the more I watched him this morning, but does not have the quick release that Anthony Gordon has. I mean, there's a difference there, but he's got that bigger NFL-style body. I was going to say that your son and I had the same exact follow-up question for you after you talked about Anthony Gordon. And by the way, a friend of mine who is uh, in the biz, he ranked all of his quarterbacks. And you know, I think if you rank, if you had 20 people rank the quarterbacks that are not Burrow and Tua, you would have all sorts of maybe 20 different answers for how people rank them because he had... Yeah. He had, uh, like you had Jake from Jacob Eason, Eason, both above Jordan Love, and he has Anthony Gordon above Jordan Love, too, which I think would probably annoy some people who really like what they see in terms of the arm strength and the high-end the guys stuff. From PFF, the guys from PFF loved Gordon. Yeah, they were, they were, and they, we're not I, as high on Love, on Jordan Not Love. as high on Love, and I think because they go off of the metrics of you know that accuracy thing, and Love mm-hmm. is this, he's the splash play guy where you, you, we're all seeing these highlights on ESPN and these various uh, stations right now, and he's the splash player that versus LSU, he made a couple really good throws mm-hmm. and sort of reminds you of... But then you go like, what does he do all the time? And that was, um, uh, you know, Ryan Leaf. Remember, it was Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was the guy that was like boom, boom, accurate. Yep. He sort of had yep. all these things that were. But but Ryan Leaf tantalized you with some amazing plays, and he was more of a big, this huge guy that was a playmaker. Uh, but he did maybe have all the subtleties of the simple foundational uh, game, and so and then so that's where I see with sort of Jordan Love. He has these splash plays that you really go, "Ooh, wow! Like, what what a great play!" But man, I if you just can't sometimes just throw the accurate on time, uh, you know, ten yard stop right on the outside, and you miss the guy, and you throw it over his head, or you don't have some awareness on on some pocket movement. You know, all those other things, uh, you know, the splash plays don't mean all that much to me. That's why I like Fromm. You know, Fromm 
reminds me of a guy like Cousins without as strong as arm, but I think a quicker release and quicker feet, and, and, and he could be a good player. He doesn't have the top-end thing, but I think could be a, a good NFL player. I was, I was more impressed by him than what I thought I would be when I went into that situation. And obviously that's a guy who, you know, I guess beat out Justin Fields, beat out Jacob Eason, uh, who's a Washington quarterback who people like because he's like the physical big guy, big arm, mm-hmm. those types of things. But, you know, Jake Fromm beat him out at Georgia and Justin Fields, who's the Ohio State quarterback at Georgia as well. So, you know, those guys that are just winners too, um, that does mean something to me. I know winning's not a quarterback staff, but I don't know. I mean, the, the greatest quarterbacks of all time is the ones that won, not necessarily threw up the most yards. And, and you know, that's why Brady and, and Joe Montana, those types of guys, uh, you know, it, I think winning is uh, definitely a part. It's not It's not just the quarterback, but they are definitely a part of the solution. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I think about this all the time, something that our friends at Pro Football Focus talk about on their podcast about how, you know, you don't you don't draft players to become pro bowlers. You draft them to help you win football games because that's the goal here. It's the same thing with like you don't have a quarterback to put up stats. You have a quarterback to win you games. And you know, there were years where Tom Brady had an eighty-seven quarterback rating and went fourteen and two. So you know, I think I'll I think I'll take that. And uh, my one of my favorite, probably top five quarterbacks of all time, Jim McMahon, won something like twenty-five games in a row at some point during his career. And like, yeah, you know what? You could say it was their defense, but how many quarterbacks have ever won 25 games in a row? I think that Jim McMahon had something to do with it. So Yeah, guys, um, guys that find a way. And, and I know you've been big on Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. um, and because he's a guy that no one looks at really as a first-rounder, second-rounder, so maybe he's a guy who could get that has some some value in the third, fourth round or something. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest with you, I was highly unimpressed. Mm. I really was. And... There's just uh, there was a lot of things with footwork, or he, you know, he he'd been known to be this. Is he the guy that makes that first read, and then after that, he just sort of runs? And but he is a great runner. He is a very yeah, very spectacular good runner. Yeah, legitimately, and it helps to have a running quarterback. But over time, you have to be a really good thrower. And when I saw, you know, did I see anticipation and some po- nice pocket movement and stay a passer? Did I see him throw the ball on time? Did I see him, see him progress through uh, and process information as he went across the field, maybe on some full field read? I didn't. I did mm-hmm. not see yep. that. Yep. Tons of talent on that football team. When you have a running quarterback, if you if you do sort of one to two and to run type of scenario, it's not a terrible way to go because you know it is nice to have a running quarterback and and uh, um, and you can you can make plays. But in the NFL, it's those are just harder and harder to do. Um, and he's a big runner. He's not like a Kyler Murray runner. He's a little more Cam Newtonish, without not quite as big. But my thing is, he just—he's not a Cam Newton thrower. Like yeah. he doesn't have yeah. a great throwing. He doesn't have a great arm. Um, he sort of has a little bit of a, a funky motion. Doesn't put a lot of spin on the ball. I'm just personally just not not seeing it with Jalen Hurts. So you and I are on the same page on the criticisms of Jalen Hurts. I just think with someone who is an exceptional athlete and has that extra element that if like let's just say like you, you have a better shot at Jalen Hurts surprising you and becoming a good NFL quarterback with a couple of years of uh, development than someone who is limited athletically because if, so, so you know what you know it never made any sense to me so when I got cut in 2012 um, they had Christian Ponder, all right, who was really a pocket passer that could occasionally get a third down with his legs. But then they, when they kept Joe Webb, it just made no sense. Joe Webb would have been a great quarterback as the second or third guy mm-hmm. in Baltimore. Yeah, and that's where maybe Jalen Hurts would be a good guy in Baltimore. The problem is they already have RG three, 
who I guess is similar to Lamar Jackson. And then I think Trace McSorley, the Penn State quarterback, is their third guy who was sort of that mix. Yeah, great you know, athlete. Taysom Hill type of, yep. type of player, right? So uh, I think Jalen Hurts fits into that category. And if you look at the Viking situation, it may be the 180 degrees the opposite uh, of what, what Kirk <laughs> yeah, Cousins is. Yeah, no, that is, that is, that is very with, true. With My thought was you want a guy, if you're going to back up Kirk Cousins, who is a couple years down the road from having a chance at being good, and then you would change your philosophy if you really loved what you saw. And the other part of it is, too, that I could see Jalen Hurts as having a backup career where he's around for you know 10 years in the NFL because everybody likes him and he comes in and can win half of his games with his athleticism, even if the throwing isn't perfect and, and so forth. So I like him from that perspective where I think that there is a, a bigger ceiling for him because he has the athletic gifts that you can win games with someone who isn't that accurate uh, or isn't perfect when it comes to rating defenses if they can bring that extra element. Which brings me, Sage, to something I wanted to do with some of these top quarterbacks with you is let's make a real-world comparison with these guys. And mm-hmm. I know that uh, you know draft Knicks really don't always like things like this. You know, well, you can't compare this guy to that guy and so forth. But I think it's fun to do. Like, what could they become and what they're most likely to become? So, they're comp. They're comp. Comp, yes, yes. And I, I think of it as two different ways. And you, and you can take it however you want to take it. Like, most likely is kind of how I think of it. Like, who are they most likely to become? But then there's also the perfect world scenario. Like, when you drafted Patrick Mahomes, the perfect world scenario is it becomes John Elway. And, whoop, he did. <laughs> you know, and that, yeah. that almost never happens. So let's go with who will they most likely become with the quarterback. So start with Joe Burrow. Well, real quick, by the way, Pat Mahomes, I would say his comp is Brett Favre. I think they're yeah, the most similar, like yep. you know, um, similar type of guy. I, I think with the huge arm and the ability to make plays and to make throws, that sort of mind And how everyone and, loves them. Like, and, there's yeah, a personality and loose, thing. Because yeah. they play loose. They yeah. let it go. They're not worried about making a mistake. They're the, the gunslinger thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to create. I, I think Favre would be Pat Mahomes' comp. Okay, so how about Joe Burrow? Who is the comp for Joe Burrow? Joe Montana. Wow. That's best okay. case scenario, Joe Burrow. Best case scenario. Okay, Joe Burrow. let's go most likely. Joe Montana is a sneaky good athlete, good basketball player. Mm-hmm. Burrow is a basketball player. That actually, I think, is, is important to me. I, I think that actually matters. I, I like guys that play basketball, yeah. Yeah. especially guys that are like good shooters but are, are good point guards because they can distribute, but they can also shoot. So it's sort of like, you know, it's the same thing as a quarterback. Can you distribute the, the ball to his teammates and the natural athletic ability? So. That would be best-case scenario, Joe Burrow would be Joe Montana. Okay, so what's the most likely scenario for Joe Burrow? Um, trying to think who's out there around the NFL. I'll give you mine. How about time. you give best-case, I'll give most likely. I'm going to say... Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck Andrew is a good Luck. one. Maybe yeah, Andrew Luck. I like Andrew Luck. Like I think, you know, and maybe an Andrew Luck was really, really good early on, but I think there's a similar similar scenario there that, that's what i like i'm gonna say matt ryan is the the comp for yeah i for can him. see that somebody with a little more athleticism than you give them credit for very very accurate but doesn't have one tool where you go oh my gosh he's got this you know mega arm or unbelievable athleticism or something like that but could be a consistently very good and winning quarterback in the nfl yeah now, i can definitely see that how about Tua? lefties only no, you don't have to do lefties only. But <laughs> I don't know all the lefties. There's, there's only I, a I couple. I mean, of, uh, Boomer Esiason and Mark yeah. Brunel. Um, 
Well, all right, let's go with Tua. Let's go with uh, um, he was the Jacksonville quarterback, uh, Mark Brunel. Yeah, Mark Brunel. Let's do it. You Lyle like will it? Stay lefty, Mark. Yeah, sure. You I kind of I mean, do like Mark it, was actually. probably a better runner. Mark could run. I mean, he was sort yeah, of Steve Young athlete. light, yep. right? Steve Young light. Yep. So you would say top of top of the Tua. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Steve Young. Tua. He's just a good quarterback or, or a good you know. And uh, Brunel had some great seasons. I mean, those Jacksonville teams, man, with Jimmy Smith and Fred Taylor, they had some some dynamite offenses. But I, I'd say Mark Brunel is a comp. Okay, uh, for going lefties only, I do love the Mark Brunel, um, but Boomer Esiason isn't a bad one because I never thought of Boomer Esiason as having this unreal arm, but he took great teams and he just operated their offense and he could make a big throw at a big time and you know got a team to the Super Bowl and won an MVP, but he wasn't consistently one of the best quarterbacks, but when he peaked, he could be really, really good. So if we're going lefty only comparisons, if we're going not lefty, yeah, we're going righty. What if you go righty? Yeah, if you go, go righty, you got one. Well, I've seen other people say his high ceiling is Drew Brees because he got, yeah. you know, he's good at like getting the he ball. He does quick. have a big arm. I don't know what Trent Dilfer was talking about when he said he had better arm than Dan Marino. No, <laughs> no one does. So he doesn't have a strong arm. Yeah, like, he no. spins really well. Uh, how about Brisey? Brian Grease is a guy that could really spin the ball well and is pretty accurate, but he moves to him moves around really well in the pocket. He's got really good pocket movement and, and things. I'm you know I'm trying to trying to figure out some names of just good or you know average NFL quarterbacks that weren't always the Drew Breeses or, or Joe Montana. Yeah, we type, always you know. shoot we always shoot like way too high with these things, of course, because that's you know the fun. Even the average comparison is probably too high, but maybe like Jared Goff level. If if he if it's like average, which is very well, different. No, I, he's a very Goff is the super tall, long, sort of lanky, you know, type of guy. I don't see that. But it's a different I, it's I a different look. But it's somebody that's not going to run or do anything like that. And if they've got a good system, they can just stand there and be accurate. And and yeah. with Alabama. He had all sorts of time to throw the ball. I mean, that was a huge deal. But when he did, he could light it up. I mean, Jared Goff, like, sometimes we act like he just is garbage or something, and he was borderline MVP quarterback in his first two years running the best offenses in the league, partly because he was standing there with empty pockets for a long time or open pockets to step and throw to very, very good wide receivers. I think if you gave Tua those same sort of things where he could just step and throw, like he's going to be one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, a guy that reminds me a little bit of him, and, and he's a, probably he's a bigger, stronger guy, is Dak Prescott. Dak, I think Dak, Dak Prescott does a pretty good job yep. in the pocket. He's pretty accurate. Uh, he makes he can make plays, but he's not like super dynamic. Uh, he's a good runner, not a great runner. And yeah. I think two is probably not as I wouldn't want to run the ball with his injuries. Yep. But and Dak's a, a better runner. But that's one of those guys that uh, you know maybe not a top five guy in the league, but a good quality starter in the NFL. That's that's good enough. That you know I think that'd be that's a decent comp for me. So how about Justin Herbert? Who would be your comparison for Herbert? Josh Allen. Josh yeah. Allen yeah. of uh, the Buffalo Bills. Yep. I, he, he's yep. my comp. Big guy, athlete. You, you see the, um, like the holy cow, he's, you know, he's six foot six. And, and um, uh, you know, Josh Allen made a ton of big time plays. He does occasionally make some wild plays, too. But it's the basic ones that I see him miss, and that's the sort of the Josh Allen thing. Sometimes it's that basic stuff that he doesn't always do so well. 
uh, and so yeah, the the big all you know athlete type of guy, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, uh, that's my comp. How about best world scenario for him is Roethlisberger, maybe uh, like a big mm. giant guy with a strong arm. I, th- I see that with Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason, okay. Roethlisberger's not. He scrambles, but he doesn't run. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not. He he barrels at times at his best. He barrels, and, yeah. and Eason I think is bigger than Herbert. Herbert's like a taller, skinnier little. I mean, he's not skinny, but he's a little more toothpick shaped, I guess. Eason's mm-hmm. just a little thicker guy, and I can see him as more of a lumbering, big athlete. Um, is not going to score a fifty on the Wonderlick by any means, and uh, but but big arm, big arm, and and, and so there's, yeah, there's a, there's a Roethlisberger comparison. <laughs> Jacob Eason of Washington. Jacob Eason. Okay, how about uh, Jake Fromm? You liked a lot of what you saw from a technical standpoint from him. I did, and that's he seemed to be a guy that's uh, that's could step in right away, and he understands rhythm, he understands timing, and he understands coverages. Um, he doesn't hold onto the football. I think in some ways he doesn't have Kirk Cousins' strong arm, but in other ways I like I like him better than Kirk. There's like a comp there where he does little he throws a little sidearm ball every once in a while, or or moves around the pocket a little bit and and can flip his hips real quick and and make a a quick accurate throw. He doesn't have as powerful arm as Kirk has, but there's in a lot of ways they're both similar athletes. Fromm's not a great athlete and not a playmaker, but from a guy in the pocket that could manage an offense well and would probably do a very good job at that bootleg type of stuff. He made some throws on the run in the game that I watched. I'm trying to think of who they – I always try to watch it when they play another like top 25 yeah, team. Yeah. And he made some throws – I was a first Alabama. I can't remember who, but he made some some special special throws. Red zone, running to the right from the twenty five yard line, back corner, right in the spot where the, the the receiver had a chance to make the catch. Those impressed me. Uh, so he does have the ability to make those types of throws as well. So uh, in some ways, a less less of an arm, but more, but in some ways, better uh, quarterback skills than than Kirk Cousins. How about? Teddy Bridgewater for a comp for Jake Fromm. Like not the strongest arm, kind of has some off-schedule yeah. ability, accurate, yep. good footwork yep. sort of thing. I, and obviously there's that winner thing. And, yeah. you know, Georgia's got tons of talent, and but all of these SEC teams have tons of talent. Guy was in three SEC championship games in his time at Georgia and one national championship game. Uh, so he played a lot of really, really good football and, and, and beat out probably because of consistency. And I, I use that word a lot. Is he consistently accurate? Does mm-hmm. he consistently make decisions? And when, when you're a, a head coach or an offensive coordinator in college football and you've got all these stars on your team, Justin Fields and Jacob Eason and, and, uh, and, and Jake Fromm, and you go with the true freshman and he ends up just being that player for you, it's because of his consistency. It's because, you know what, every single day the guy just doesn't make very many. Yeah, this guy is a splash player. Justin Field wild everybody in this play in the spring scrimmage or whatever, but I like the consistency. Coaches like that, and so that's why I think NFL coaches where we like him. I, I, I think he'd be a very good second-round pick for somebody. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think he, the kid's got a real chance if you put the right offense around him, the right, right football team around him. But if you're going to ask him to be Deshaun Watson in Houston and, like, hey, you're going to make the play, that you know, that's, yeah, not, that's right. not him. But that's definitely not Kirk Cousins either. Okay, last one, Jordan Love. And I'm going to say Ryan Tannehill for this. Like a good athlete with a big arm, 
but you know, maybe consistency would be something I question, and not necessarily recent Ryan Tannehill, but like Miami Dolphins Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I'm trying to think of somebody. You are right. He does. He who's the guy who makes the splash plays, but then just sort of cons- doesn't consistently, you know, do things for you that to you know to to sustain drives oh, and to I, get those key third downs. Could be like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe Ryan like, Fitzpatrick. You know, big time um, throws, but doesn't he's necessarily a little more do of a playmaker though. Yeah. When you see him run around and move. There's a naturalness there that is Pat Mahomes like. That yeah. that is that is legit. He just doesn't have the consistency. And he threw 17 interceptions. You throw 17 interceptions, that means that's the decision making aspect. He was not consistently making good decisions. He wasn't consistently accurate. But he has the splash plays. So um, you know, maybe with better coaching and, and and those types of things, that he can become a more consistent player. And people you know try to get the ball of his hand or whatever. But I just was not seeing uh, the things that you need as an NFL quarterback to be, you know, to, to, to be good and, and to win games and just, just way too many negative plays. But yep. um, if you can cut back on those negatives, um, you know, maybe it's Jameis Winston. Maybe he's Jameis yeah. Winston. Okay, I could guy. I could see that. Well, and that's the funny right. thing. Because 17 interceptions in college is like 31 in the NFL. I mean, they they're just better defenders in the NFL. When you throw balls up, they they get intercepted pretty yeah. easily. And so I don't like the. the well, you know, his receivers ran this wrong route, or you know, this ball got tipped, or like, yeah, look, everybody has that stuff happen. Not everyone throws seventeen picks in college, so uh, usually you want to protect the ball better than that. But that it will be very interesting, Sage, to find out. And you and I are going to be together again tomorrow morning, I think, right? Um, we are, yes, we are, uh, yes, fairly early, nine o'clock, maybe yeah, or yeah, something. Well, a little to, too uh, early for my liking, check with, it out, uh, my schedule, you, but we will be here. here. Uh, I'm a night owl, so you know. 8 o'clock comes early for me. Uh, I have heard, by the way, I haven't looked at it, but James Morgan, this Florida International. Oh, He's sure. Florida yeah, International get a little buzz. FAU. I think it was Florida International. Yeah, Florida heard, International. Is a team, is a, is a guy that people are sure he's sort of moving up the uh, the draft boards that he could be one of those sort of like, oh, they drafted this guy in the fourth round. Who is he? Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like he might be one of those guys that is that people are starting to like more and more. All right. Tomorrow we will uh, maybe mock again and see how it works out tomorrow morning. What What is better than a morning mock? Um, so we'll definitely do that. And maybe we could go through the, the draft sim that everybody hated so far that I put out there. Um, All right. Well, uh, Sage, I will talk to you tomorrow morning. This has been very fun, and we are almost there, man. We are uh, approaching very closely the NFL draft. Yeah, we're like, we're, uh, you know, 30 hours away or something. The draft will be here. It's going to take a few days, and then I'm sure we'll spend plenty of time uh, uh, sorting through the chaos. The Vikings do have a lot of draft picks and some some higher draft picks, having two first rounders. They have their needs. uh, And, you know, this to me has been a, a, a good year to really get into who the Vikings might yeah. take, both in free agency because they weren't super active in free agency, but who now they're going to take in this draft. Uh, this is a this is a big draft year for Rick Spielman and yeah. his group. I mean, for our purposes, having two first round picks just adds to the intrigue. So it will be very fun, and uh, like I said, we'll be on tomorrow morning again. So I'll talk to you then. Thank, uh, thanks as always for your time, Sage. We'll take a quick break. We will continue our thirty six hours of purple presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus next here on Score North. Score North is giving away $1,000 to someone who correctly predicts the first draft pick by the Purple in this week's draft. 
It's the Draft Day 1K giveaway. Here's how you can win. Download or open the Score North app, register your app, and enter to win in listening rewards and follow the directions for the Draft Day 1K giveaway. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Join more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. The Seattle Seahawks have traded the 32nd pick to the Minnesota Vikings. With the 32nd pick in the 2014 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select Teddy Bridgewater. Quarterback, Louisville. Uh, Our friend Eric Eager, who joins the show now for Pro Football Focus, made a very interesting point on Twitter about late first-round quarterbacks and how Teddy Bridgewater is one of the few who has actually become good, Eric. Usually if we see somebody drop into the middle late first round, it does happen, and you know, middle first round is sort of your Aaron Rodgers area, so everyone can pick out one that worked out well. But the majority is they turn into Brady Quinn's. Yeah, I mean the Browns did such a great job with that with that sort of maneuver, <laughs> yes. you know, with Brady Quinn. Uh, I'm trying to think of that Brandon Whedon and then uh, yeah. Johnny Manziel uh, in three straight times. So maybe it's just the Browns uh, are the confounding variable, but <laughs> uh, you know the Christian Ponder, uh, EJ Manuel. Just basically, once the the market has sort of picked the top, you know, few quarterbacks, uh, you know, there's not a whole reaching for the Jordan love of the rest uh, has proven not to be particularly fruitful uh, in in past drafts. It's remarkable how much more success you would have taking someone in the second round and hoping for your Jimmy Garoppolo or even your Derek Carr, who I don't think is thought of as being a huge success, but when someone signs a a second quarterback contract and is with a franchise for a long time, I mean, that's about what you can hope for when you draft someone in the second round. Even Andy Dalton, like, yeah, Andy Dalton is not going to go into the Hall of Fame, but he led his team to the playoffs for five years. That's a pretty good second-round draft pick uh, as compared to, say, like you mentioned, Brandon Whedon. Uh, by the way, this is part of our 36 Hours of Purple presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. And Jonathan told me in the break that I'm on at 8 and not 9 tomorrow. And that was... That is correct. That was a lot. Um, and I'll also be on from six, <laughs> 6 six to 8 six to eight tonight with Rami, too, that we're going to continue this going on. So it'll be all purple all the time. Um, so, Eric, let's uh, first, before we get into crazy draft scenarios, you have to give a grade to my draft sim here that didn't go super well. Um, people are hammering me on Twitter, but when I do one I, and I want to write about it and make it my final draft sim, I got to stick with what I get. So I used Pro Football Focus Mock Draft Simulator, and I ended up trading down with Seattle, coincidentally, and uh, getting 25 and 27 and picking up the 64th pick. So I got Jeff Gladney, the corner from TCU, Cesar Ruiz, the guard-slash-center from Michigan, Lynn Bowden, the receiver from Kentucky, Terrell Burgess, safety from Utah, assuming Anthony Harris trade here. And then, uh, you know, after that, I mean, Whatever. It's just a bunch of guys that I thought might have some sort of ceiling. But for those first four picks, how poorly did I do? Well, you know, I think Gladney's a, a pretty good, uh, you know, prospect. Um, you know, so that you know, they they're not going to go wrong there. The, the hard part is, you know, and then you go with Burgess, who I think is a decent safety prospect. The the hard part to swallow about that is the Vikings still need more players in the secondary, even yeah. after you go after those two guys. And then, so to me, that's where like the interior 
uh, is sort of, you know, when you go with Ruiz, I get, that's like the, probably the part where I'm a little bit, uh, bearish on it. It's just that, you know, interior linemen struggle from day one. And, and so, you know, we've seen that with Alpine. We've seen that with Bradbury. And so to address a need with that position, it's very rare that you're going to get somebody like a Quentin Nelson who's good right away. Um, so, you know, if, if I knew and, you know, you being the GM of the Vikings in that case, if I knew you, you were going to be in it for the long haul and this season, you know, you'd be content with seven and nine, six and 10. And, and, you know, Ruiz is for the long run. I'm more of a fan of a pick like that because, you know, just the hit rate early on linemen is so small. And I think this is particularly a Vikings draft where they need to hit on some players now yeah. to save yeah. a lot of jobs. And I just don't see interior. The closer they are, a player is to the ball, especially on the offense, the harder it is to adjust. Yeah, and I agree with that. My only thinking was that, uh, you know, when we do the positional value thing, that for a quarterback who is consistently sacked and pressured by people rushing up the middle, you have to improve that. And right now, I look at the Vikings roster and see no guards. Like, are they going to stick with Pat Elfline and have him continue to be a screen door for Zadarius Smith? They cut Josh Klein, which was kind of stunning considering that he's a proven yeah. veteran and was you know below average, but not a complete train wreck last year. So now they have Brett Jones, Dakota Dozier, just replacement-level players. Like, at some point, you have to, as Rick Spielman and the Vikings, find a guard who can play football in the NFL in the Mike Zimmer Mm -hmm. era. And so, you know, I'm looking at... Denzel Mims was on the board. I get that. I think he's a little risky. T. Higgins, I'm not overly blown away by his athleticism. You worry about if, if there's a real ceiling there. And so it was kind of one of those where I was surprised that there weren't as many great players there for me. I could have taken another corner. Is it nuts to go uh, Jalen Johnson and Jeff Gladney or A.J. Terrell and Jeff Gladney? It might not be. No, I mean, those there are some players at the back end of the first round that I think fit exactly what Zimmer wants to do defensively in that they have some length. They've played against top competition. Uh, even, you know, he's fallen because of his, you know, combine. But Cameron Dantzler was a very good coverage player in the SEC, and he's big and athletic, and, you know, you know he didn't run a good 40, but he's going to be somebody, I think, that will fit into Zimmer's scheme. But, no, I mean, the thing about the defense, and, you know, they, they sort of, uh, dodged the bullet like this in the, in the, uh, or the wildcard round. But the, the injuries that you have to your secondary just cripple you. And, and it's, it's less about getting brilliance back there than it is about throwing numbers at the problem. And the issue with the Vikings is not only do they not have brilliance at corner anymore, they don't have numbers. Uh, right. and I think the, the bottom half of the first round is in this draft specifically could really help them solve that problem. So I have no issue with that. You know, obviously they need receiver help and, and, you know, but, you know, they need a lot of help, but I think wide receiver and corner would be, you know, where positions where if they took two in the first round, I would not bat an eyelash. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you there, and I thought about it, and then I decided to go with the guard because I just have reached the peak of frustration of having people (laughs) walk through the interior of the offensive line and just sack Kirk Cousins, and this is where I, I would give Kirk Cousins this, that many times he's dropping back and there's some giant human being in his lap in 1.5 seconds, and I know you guys have a stat for this, for how quick you get sacked uh, under 2.5 seconds, but it's 
got to be a lot from the interior, maybe more than any other team with Kirk Cousins, where he just drops back and the guy's right there. And so I'm looking at the best guard in the entire draft. Like, okay, well, give me give me that guy here. But, you know, of course, then it sort of screws me up later because there's a couple of decent tackle prospects at 58, and then I'm saying, well, I already took an offensive lineman. And so, you know, the, the thing about drafting is because you only get one shot at it and you sort of do the best you can at the time, there are a lot of drafts where I could see inside of draft rooms they get done and go, what just happened there? Like that was not that was not how this was supposed to go. This was not how we mocked it, and now we feel really bad about this draft. <laughs> I would be surprised if the smarter teams are not like that in the sense that you know I think that probably the the less smart teams come out of every draft thinking we got everybody we wanted right and like and. and Whereas, you know, I think that it, this might be folklore. I, I, I actually think it's true, though, is that some teams, New England, for example, just, you know, they only get to know intimately maybe 30 guys. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why they trade back so often because, you know, maybe three or four players from a particular tier get drafted right away and they're stuck and they're like, well, we only have a certain number of players we know really well. And you move back where, and that's, to me, I think might be a better. You know, you get a ton of different opinions on a couple players yep. and you get a better consensus than trying to have a million opinions on a million players, which is why maybe some of the less smart teams come out of the draft and say, we got all these great players. Well, by this time, we can convince, I can convince you any player in the draft is good at this point. And I can convince you any player yes. sucks at this point. And, you know, that, but I agree with you. I think like we do only get one shot and there are a ton of missed opportunities that are sometimes not your fault. And you can probably come out of it a little bit less than thrilled with yourself, uh, depending upon the circumstance. So let me ask you before we get into crazy, wild possibilities, philosophically speaking, how should we do this? How should we grade a draft right after the draft? Because, you know, there's the famous stories of Travis Frederick pick is just demolished by everyone. And the guy becomes a borderline Hall of Famer. And Russell Wilson, why are you drafting him? Why are you drafting Kirk Cousins in Washington when you just drafted RG3? You're so crazy. And then, you know, he's your starting quarterback a couple of years later. So if I do this draft... And you're saying to me, uh, I don't know why you drafted interior lineman at 27, and you know maybe your wide receiver doesn't know how to run routes and that sort of thing. Um, but how should we really do this? Because I, I get this note sometimes from people that say, well, look, we can't really analyze it for a couple of years. But we don't even do that either. We don't even go back and go, you know that Danny Isadora pick in 2017, what were they thinking? So, so how do we right. do it? What's the right way to do it right after it happens? Well, I think it's it's a hundred percent wrong to go back, five, you know, to say you have to wait five years for it to work out because because the Tom Brady pick, for example, you know, it's whatever at one hundred ninety nine. Everybody had the same opinion, and it's sort of you know we're all working with the same information, and it's sort of how you sort of synthesize it that I think at this time you know sort of determines whether or not you made a good draft, uh, made a good draft, a draft full of picks. So for me, what it would be would be, and, and some people have done this really well, like we're, you know, with our mock draft sim, we're collecting data sort of on what everybody's done. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's a person named Benjamin Robinson who has a website called Grinding the Mocks, who sort of <laughs> does the same thing. But <laughs> it's kind of like draftblaster.com. Uh, that's like great. The, but, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about it is, is, like, it doesn't matter if Cleveland Farrell ends up being a Hall of Famer. The Raiders took him 15 picks too early last year. Yeah. Right. Uh, and 
And so we can, we can sort of look at that in real time and say, yeah, like this is about allocating capital efficiently. And if you take the fourth overall pick and draft the 15th or 16th or 17th best player there, that's being, that's not being good at this, right? Or, uh, if you take Jordan Love with the 10th overall pick, that's not being good. And there's a number of different ways you can look at that. The betting markets, I think, are pretty good at saying, okay, this guy's expected draft position is this. But I, I think it's just basically like, did you draft players when they were expected to be drafted? Did you draft them after, before? Uh, it, kind of the deals that you get. Right, yeah. no, the, And I always think about like the logic at the time. Like, what was your logic? So the Russell Wilson pick. Was your logic that maybe Matt Flynn might not be a great quarterback, so you should try on somebody else who dropped past everyone and had amazing production and is a great athlete? Like, that seems good logic to me in the third round. I don't know how you criticize that one. Um, you know, so uh, it's a lot easier to justify, you know, some of those picks that have worked out and surprised everyone when you go back and look. And then there are other ones that surprise you and you say, well, I wouldn't have done that at the time, but the guy worked out like you're laying out there. I mean, it worked out, but it's still, um, it was a little bit of a goofy selection when they took him. I mean, and there are ones, even in hindsight, that are super hard to decide. Like, what, what do we grade the Delvin Cook pick? Like, I don't know. I mean, he's a, a really good running back. I mean, one of the best in terms of talent in the league. But if you're three years into a running back and he's gained 2,100 yards, like, I can't give you an A+. Plus. And that's not your fault. But also, you drafted a running back in a historic class in the second round when you had other needs. Like, there's so many things that sort of go through my mind of trying to evaluate these picks, whether it's right after they happen or even three or four years later. Yeah, it's really hard. I remember at the time, I think it was even uh, your colleague Phil, you know, you know, messaged me. He's like, what do you think of the Dalvin Cook pick? And I was like, well, I, I'm not a fan of trading up for a running back, uh, you know, and and I think a lot of people are saying, well, he was 20th on the Vikings board, and so that you get him at 41 or wherever they got him. It's like, yeah, but like that's, you know, you kind of have to split the difference a little bit there. And, and Cook's been great. And, and again, like you just said when you were, when you were on the stage earlier, it's not about drafting great players necessarily. It's about drafting players that help you win. And right. as great as Dalvin Cook has been, that team was two and two when he tore his ACL in 2017 and finished the season 11 and one. So you know it, it's it's you know he's a terrific running back, but it's it's unclear to me that he's moved the needle from a win loss perspective for the Vikings. And as such, like as we're sitting here looking at the team now, where he's like the you know the one superstar left on the team. Uh, and they, I don't project them to be particularly good. It, was it a great pick? Probably not. Uh, all right, let's talk about craziness then, Eric. Um, it all starts with Tua and what's going to happen yep. with Tua. Because if the Miami Dolphins decide to select Javon Kinlaw or something at fifth with Tua on the board, then I think all hell breaks loose with people trying to call the Los Angeles Chargers to trade up. Maybe the Chargers pick them. Maybe they go Justin Herbert because they have no idea what they're doing either. I mean, this one specifically is, I think, really hard to project with the amount of talent that goes past pick 15 and i want to know who surprises us you mentioned Farrell last year that was a total stunner so who can surprise us potentially in the first round this year well so there's a a a dream scenario for me as somebody who likes to see just anarchy and 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 you know at, at this time of the draft there are rumors that the dolphins are thinking about trading up to three and not for a quarterback for an offensive tackle uh there are rumors that the giants like uh, you know, Jedrick Wills at four, um, it, it, or even Tristan Wirth. So 
my my favorite draft scenario is the Dolphins trading up for a tackle at three and then using the remaining picks, so some subset of 18, 5, 26, and 39, to move up and get somebody like Jordan Love or Herbert, whoever falls. Uh, to me, that would be the most hilarious situation um, because it, it, in, a, in a tackle class where the current betting markets say that seven tackles are going to go in the first round, to trade a haul you've been accumulating for the past two years to get the best one when we're not even sure that that guy's the best one would show a complete and utter lack of understanding of what's going on. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I, is it just me or has the Dolphins organization started to trend a little bit toward you're not completely insane? Like just, I mean, their free agent moves I thought were smart, mm-hmm. and what they did yep. with Josh Rosen, there's one where it'll always be a smart move. It didn't work out, but it was a really smart move to trade for somebody who was a top-ten pick and give up a second-rounder for him, and maybe he's your franchise quarterback after that. So I just think that they have smoke-screened like crazy here, and they still want to pick Tua. Yeah, and, and I even think, you know, this hurt their tank a little bit, but I even think cutting the cord on Rosen when it was clear that at least in that offensive structure, he wasn't capable of being productive, mm-hmm. was also smart, right? I mean, they could have, you know, they could have really ruined the kid by having him go out. I mean, Fitzpatrick wasn't a whole lot better, but he at least can operate in sort of a system where the quarterback has to be under more duress. Uh, and that was smart of them. No, I agree. I think a lot of this stuff could be just the Belichickian-ness uh, of Flores and company uh, just trying to smokescreen everything. There's also a rumor that they're going to go after Joe Tooney. Uh, the former page or the current Patriots guard who's currently under the franchise tag, uh, you know, this, this year. So I, I think that they make the right choice. I do think that there's a pretty good chance that a team trades up for Tua, um, even up to pick two. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of this, this, this stuff about Herbert, I know you guys talked about uh, him kind of comping to Josh Allen. I like that. I like also a, a comp to uh, basically Brady Quinn, uh, I think two is head and shoulders above above him, and I think people right now who are talking about Herbert above him are just trying to push people off the scent. Is it possible to make an effective Jalen Hurts comp? Because, you know, I don't want to go with someone who looks like Jalen Hurts in terms of stature and say, oh, he could be Dak Prescott, because Dak Prescott was a way better thrower. What is it like Vince mm-hmm. Young, maybe? I mean, someone, he's not in stature similar at all, but a really, really plus runner who had great success in college, but when it came to the X's and O's parts of playing the game and making the right reads and on time and everything else was just not really effective at that at all. Well, you know, we talked about this, I think, when uh, we were doing the text analytics. And and if you go to PFF.com, there's an article about it. But basically looking at what people were writing about Deshaun Watson coming out of college uh, and what they're writing currently uh, about Jalen Hurts, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, Hurts uh, is tough mentally, both mentally and physically. I mean, he lost a starting job uh, at Alabama. He went to a team last year. They were the most efficient offense in college football. Uh, you know, people talked about Watson's processing speed and the fact that he invites pressure and that he he hangs onto the ball too long. And that's all the things that people said about Hurts. People didn't even like Deshaun Watson's arm strength. I know our friend. Ethan Young, who's very, very good at this, he dinged Watson significantly in that draft class mm-hmm. because he didn't have, uh, you know, a cannon for an arm. Hurts kind of similar as well. Now, I think Watson, and we, we have the gift of seeing Watson for two and a half years in the NFL, I think he is a more polished passer. 
but but it's interesting to say to you know to see that and to say okay well if this guy gets into a, a an offense like that I can totally see something you know Prescott being you know Prescott's a fourth round pick right that I think Hurts goes before that I think I think it's fair to compare him to some of these lesser thought of quarterbacks given that. You know, there, it, it, Jordan Love could move the ball last year. Justin Herbert could move the ball last year. At least mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts could move the ball at the college level um, for multiple teams for multiple seasons. Yeah, it's really amazing the the difference of opinions on the middle quarterbacks that some people have. Like you said, Jordan Love really high and right up there with Tua, and and, and other people have Jordan Love as their seventh or eighth quarterback on the board. And the same thing goes with Jalen Hurts, where I would still put him number three on my list, even though I I don't think that it's a high chance he becomes Deshaun Watson. Um, but I I like the chance that he becomes somebody like a, a decent backup that goes in and, and can win you some games or something like that in terms of his floor because he's just got something else there that you can win with with his ability to move. So um, we've had everybody Eric come on and give their players that they like like your your sort of I don't know I don't want to call it draft crush because that's weird but you know where you look at them and say there's a really high chance this guy succeeds. I want you to give me the first round prospect who doesn't in, in in your mind, who you look at and go, nah, not going to happen. All the red flags, and don't use Herbert because that one's like too obvious with a quarterback. Give me somebody yeah. else that just has that you just either can't believe as a first rounder, or you think, no, nah, this ain't going to work. Um, that's a that's a really good. I would go with Derek Brown of Auburn. Mm. Um, I think that he is a player who. 15 years ago when we were just starting to see three fours come out again and they at you wanted sort of a, a an end or a nose tackle that could eat up space uh he would be fine i think now with teams playing so much nickel you're three tech five tech all and to me like i'm not saying he's shamar stefan but you could get in a situation where he's a decent run defender a great run defender but he offers you nothing uh, you know, sort of as a pass rusher. Yeah. And I think if you take that that sort of player early in, in the draft, uh, you're going to be extremely disappointed. I, I'm not a huge fan of Javon Kinlaw, but at least he can rush the passer and, and generate some heat. Uh, and in a, in a draft where, the, I, in my opinion, there's only one edge player that's worthy of a top 15, top 20 pick, I think some teams who are trying to build on the defensive line are going to overdraft Derek Brown, overdraft Yvonne Kinlaw. Yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, that's uh, definitely a good selection. And when we talk about the Vikings' need on the defensive line, there just aren't guys there who are worth it in the first round, which makes me think we will be seeing tackle wide receiver corner. Uh, Eric, your contributions during draft season have been invaluable. I hope you guys have a great time on Pro Football Focus with all of your coverage, and people should listen to the PFF Forecast podcast. Is there anything else you would like to promote? Well, I know you guys are doing, uh, you know, 36 hours. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, this it's been a trying time, uh, and I'm glad, you know, Vikings fans get to listen to such great content. Um, if you want to come over to PFF, you know, we're doing, a you know, basically a, like a happy hour and about a half hour on, on YouTube with uh, Collinsworth and some of my other colleagues. And then tomorrow and Friday we do have a draft show, which will be on YouTube, and I think all those tubes basically will be on. So, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a fun draft. It's a lot of fun just to hang out and talk uh, prospects, and uh, you know, hopefully we get to see them play this fall. Chris Collinsworth, humble brag there, I think. Uh, <laughs> all, right. all right, Eric, well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I am sure, to break down everything that has happened on draft night. We'll uh, talk to you later, man. Thanks. Take care.
Eric Giger. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. And we will talk to another Eric next, Eric Edholm, who works for Yahoo Sports, to break down what is going on with Tua and his takes on the directions that the Vikings could go. Trade-ups, trade-downs. Um, Rick Spielman left the door open for pretty much anything when he talked to the media yesterday. We'll do that when we come back. 36 hours of purple presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. We could all use a little help while quarantined. And thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North is all in for Vikings draft week. We are in the middle of 36 hours of purple that started this morning at 11 and runs all the way through the end of the first round of the NFL draft tomorrow night. Yes, you heard it correctly. 36 straight hours of purple talk presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group this Wednesday and Thursday right here on Score North, scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app over at scorenorth.com. Right now, we have your draft needs covered as Matthew Collar has his seven-round mock draft simulation up there right now for you to judge and yell at him about, as well as Judd's article about the Vikings not being able to pass up Tua if somehow he drops there, despite that probably not happening. But if it does happen, Judd's all has got it written about over at scorenorth.com right now for free as well as on the free score north mobile app that's been your score north download now back to purple daily all right welcome back here 36 hours of purple matthew collar jonathan harrison producing and we welcome in from yahoo sports our friend eric edholm eric how are you doing i mean are you uh exhausted already are you jacked like what's your emotions heading into uh, draft day yeah, I've gotten like a second and a third wind at some point here. I, I, I tend to start pretty early and end pretty late these days and uh, gearing up for our show and rigging up home lighting for our uh, our broadcast on Thursday. It's going to be an eventful night, to say the least, but I'm very excited. And it's the home stretch, man. This is what we uh, we draft folk do all year and lead up to this weekend. So it's, it's still pretty exciting. Yeah, I know. I mean, that, that's what's crazy is when you have a job like yours, studying the draft all the time, and then you see these ebbs and flows with certain players who are rising and falling and everything else, and they haven't played football games in a very long time. The one that has been super hysterical is Tua. Because, you know, the other day he's dropping off the face of the earth and people have entirely eliminated him from draft boards. They think he'll get hurt the second he takes a snap all his fingers will break and he can never play in the NFL. And then I read today, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Actually, the Dolphins will probably take him. It's like, where do we stand on Tua? Yeah, it wouldn't be a draft season without coming full circle on at least a dozen prospects, he being certainly the kind of the pivotal one. Um, I'll tell you what, you know, I've I've heard almost every version of that story. I've tried very hard this draft season not to sort of get you know, distracted by the shiny object over here and the, you know, the flash of light over here and all that. But, you know, people around the league, not from the Dolphins, still were not 100% convinced that they were out on him. You know, the Dolphins seemed to go a long way to kind of make sure that people felt like they weren't doing the work they needed to do on a prospect they would take with the fifth overall pick, you know. So, it's hard not to notice that and think, geez, is something really going on here? And so you ask around, you talk to people to his camp, you talk to people 
with other teams. The Dolphins have been very tight-lipped about a lot of this stuff. They'll talk about some other players. They really won't go into the quarterbacks in depth in a lot of ways. But you do get the sense that he's a real option for them. Now, there have been rumors that they could also take a tackle with their first pick and then try to leverage the other draft ammo to, to move up and get a quarterback, whether it's two or somebody else, by moving up from that 18 spot. So who really knows? It's exciting. I mean, I, I again, it, it we'll find out Thursday night, I guess. But I this this precipitous fall that everybody's predicting i just i don't think it's happening so i've been handing out um a hundred fake football bucks to gamble on things that are going to happen to all of our guests so if i'm giving you your hypothetical football bucks how many out of a hundred would you put down on tua going to the miami dolphins wow i mean like if, if i had to bet the entire 100 like i couldn't just pocket it and go get some sandwiches or something yeah. like that. okay <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. Bet, you're betting let's just say you're betting it all on Tua to the dolphins or Tua not to the dolphins right yeah if it was Tua at number five i think i would put about three fake football bucks on that because i don't necessarily know that's going to happen right there could they move up to get him sure could they move back and somehow still land him yes now the risk is this the, the Los Angeles Chargers, right behind them, certainly could use another quarterback, almost certainly will draft one at some point. And if there's ever a team that has shown a consistent approach of taking talented players with considerable injury questions, Derwin James and you know Bosa had an injury coming out. There are a few other guys they've taken in round, especially in round one. I mean, high in the draft. They gamble on talent. They've missed on a couple. Mike Williams, the neck injury. You know, that's the risk if they try to bypass Tua and then hope to get him, you know, somewhere later in the in the top ten or something. I, I don't know. I wouldn't put a lot on it just because I could see some wild scenarios play out where they don't get him. I'll say 19 fake football bucks <laughs> on Tua uh, going to the Dolphins. Yeah, so another way to phrase that would be the field. If you were getting the bet with either Tua to the Dolphins or the field, you're taking the field. So, you know, that. Yeah, I mean, I at the okay, how about that? $29 on Tua <laughs> to the Dolphins and, and the 71 on the I really don't know. I'll be, I'll be totally honest. You know what's funny is that I find every guest is very, like, stringent with the football bucks. Like, they're not real. I'm not giving them to you. And yet no. you're still like, I don't know. I don't want to spend here. It tells you something about journalists, I think. Um, wait, wait, yeah, we're scrounging every. <laughs> dollar we have whether they're real or not yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right uh eric edholm of yahoo sports uh, with us here now eric uh, we made our lists of most interesting teams in uh you know the first night of the draft it's hard for me to not put the minnesota vikings in that list because as rick spielman said yesterday so insightfully on his zoom call they could trade up or they could trade down which is totally true it's the truest thing that's he right. ever said on one of those i think so um <laughs> so but but what is your feeling on the Vikings prospects of moving around and how trades are going to work in this very unique draft. I don't know if you've even thought about it. They could even stand pat, right? I mean, look, we've got three different outcomes (laughs) that could possibly happen, right? Yeah. I mean, there's been some trade chatter with the Vikings that I've heard, you know, sort of through other people, you know, in the agent community, the scouting community, whether these trades are able to be consummated on the clock. I just don't know. I think what a lot of teams are doing is kind of, you know, it's sort of a version of what they normally do, which is they make their calls to kind of get an idea of what the price might be, how much would it cost us to move from X to Y, Y to Z, Z to, you know, A, whatever. 
But, you know, a lot of that legwork may be done a little bit more ahead of time this year. Now, those, those terms can change on the clock. And this year, with all the communication breakdowns, you've got GMs drilling holes into their home walls and, you know, <laughs> hooking up 38 televisions and extra phone lines and all this stuff. It's like they've never operated from their house before. But, you know, I'm going to go ahead and assume that these guys are going to have some sort of communication issue at some point. And it's probably going to be more internal, like discussing potential deals with their own team, that it could be the kind of thing where people just get cold feet and say, you know what, we're going to stay and pick. So all this trade chatter about so-and-so wants to move up, so-and-so wants to move back, you could probably list 24 of the 32 Mm -hmm. picks in the first round. Maybe it ends up only being a handful of deals. I don't think it's going to be as much as maybe as a normal year. We see five or six trades in a normal first round. Maybe it's two or three. I have no idea. That said, I mean, you know, if they're in a situation where they're sensing the board is not going their way, I would not at all rule out a trade down for them. Yeah, I, every time I do a draft sim, trading down is the way to go with the Vikings. And I know yeah. that you know, draft sims are draft sims and whatever, but, uh, you know, I, I just did one today where I traded down and took Cesar Ruiz because the Vikings have, like, no guards at the moment, so that's kind of a big deal, and he's an interior offensive lineman. You could put him at guard. Um, but, you know, this is... A situation where I think, Eric, there's so many good players from 20 to 40 that even just what fits for certain teams, what schemes, what they like, what hand sizes they prefer, I mean, could determine sure. who's there. And you know, I think that you probably get a similar caliber prospect somewhere from 27 to 35 that you would at 22. Yeah, I feel like we say this every year, but I really, I really agree with you this year. And I might even say 20 to 60. I mean, there's some second round picks, some guys who are probably not going in the, you know, top 40 or 45 selections that we're going to look back and say that player should not have been on the board at that spot. And I think it's going to extend into the early parts of maybe round three and such. So, you know, I mean, I really think that's going to be the strength of this draft, depending on the position, right? Some are deeper than others. You know, there's some, some okay players at corner. Corner might be 10 deep with guys who, who will end up being, you know, contributors in the NFL on some level. Wide receiver, I think, is the deepest class we've seen in a long time. It's not as top-heavy as everyone wants to make it be, but it's deep. Sure, those are both on their knee list. Offensive tackle is interesting because there are some players who may slide a little bit who may end up being better than the guys picked ahead of them, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not quite as an – it's a good class. It really is. Compared to recent years, there's no doubt. But I'm not quite as enamored with some of the top-end guys or the guys who could be drafted at the end of round one, you know, like an Austin Jackson or Mm -hmm. an Isaiah Wilson. Those are names that have sort of been thrown out there for the Vikings, and those aren't guys that I'm personally in love with, but – you know, you see the traits and you understand why they're going that high. Yeah, both of those guys, I did a little boom or bust article, and both of those guys were the two of the targets that I had on there. And I'm yeah. curious what you think about wide receiver and fit and what sort of feeling we're supposed to have about Gary Kubiak offenses. I mean, Kubiak's been around and been drafting with teams for a very, very long time. They trade away Stephon Diggs. Receiver should be a target. But I'm not entirely convinced, Eric, that receiver should be a target in the first round, especially if Denzel Mims is more traits than he is production, and and that's the guy that keeps getting put with uh, the Vikings or T. Higgins, whose athleticism isn't all that special, but he had you know good production at Clemson. I mean, all those things make me say, 
I don't know. Maybe you should draft two guys in the third or something like that instead of pushing all the chips to the middle of the table on on one. But if there's a specific fit guy for what Gary Kubiak likes to do, who would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think obviously you'd like to see some sort of speed element in, the, in their you know in their receiver, whether they take one or two. I think you'd like to see somebody who isn't just necessarily kind of a you know a possession guy or a chain mover. And I love those guys. I really do. KJ Hill from Ohio State, love the guy, love him. I think he's going to end up being a really good player. But I think just given their needs and stuff, you know, you'd want to see somebody who's got either a little either high-end short area quickness or somebody who can at least threaten the team a little bit. I don't know if that's, you know, Brandon Ayuk or if it's somebody like, you know, K.J. Hamler, who's more of a, you know, questionable hands but blazing speed and can have an effect on a game even when he's not catching passes. So, you know, I mean, specific to them, obviously, uh, it wouldn't stun me if they're a little more patient at that position than some people feel. So, you know, I think about maybe a little later in the in the – in the draft, maybe somebody who's a real Tracy guy that didn't have big production, like a like a Courtney Davis from from Texas A and M, or uh, I'm just trying to roll through some names that might be decent fits for them. I mean, you mentioned Mims. I think probably when when a team like the Vikings met with him at the combine, they were thinking third round, something like that. Because- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Area scouts in December were giving him third, fourth, and fifth round grades. I mean, he was not getting anything close to a top 50 type of position. So, you know, it's easy to connect those two, and I think they do like it. But I also think that some other positional needs and some other, you know, players will be kind of ahead of him on their board. That's just my guess. It's hard to know how it's going to shake out. But, yeah, I would I would be fascinated to see if they if they did double down at that position whether you kind of go for two different guys or if you kind of get two of, of sort of an overlapping skill set. Yeah, it is always fun to try and pick out the guy that was always Fugazi. Like, you know, the the one who was sort of a, a plant to see if the mock drafters would move him all the way up into the first round or something. And maybe Mims, yeah. maybe Mims is that guy for this year because it's like, I never heard of this guy before he ran a four three eight. So how did that happen? Right. But, you know, that's draft season for you. Uh, Eric, really yep. appreciate your time. Before I let you go, I want to know your guys that you're certain about which i know when you cover the draft you're going to tell me uh yeah you're never really certain about anyone but <laughs> but i i wrote down a list of five i had courtney cronin write down her list i'm just putting it on record are a couple of people that we think are are locks to be good players in the nfl so give me a couple of your favorites yeah let me give you some obvious ones right i mean i think joe burrow is going to be a very good quarterback in this wow Aaron, be- wow I know. I really want to say. Bold. But you know what's funny, though? As we go along, there are people like, he doesn't have the arm. He's not going to have fun. So he's, he's got to be up there. His high-level, you know, sort of clutch gene that he has, I think is going to translate. He's a smart, confident kid, coaches on all that. You know, I, I'm not worried about Chase Young. He's going to be fine. We can nitpick him all day long if we want. I think he's a great player. Jeffrey Okuda, the more I watched him, the more I said special player, right? Like, he. You look at the interceptions, three of them in his career, but I don't care about that. I see a player who could absolutely be a a Stephon Gilmore type in the NFL. And I think the number two corner in this class, C.J. Henderson, I know not everybody loves him. He can be a little soft at times, but, boy, he's he's a good cover guy, and he's got those elite athletic traits. So I'm a little higher on him than others are, and I kind of – I bumped him up to a level to where I think he's going to be at least a pro bowler at some point, you know, so – I'm trying to think of somebody a little bit farther down the line. Like Michael Pittman from USC. Yeah, he's on I, my I list. Him, yep. 
He's on my list too. I put him fifty first on my initial rankings, and I to be you know I didn't want to sit there and redo everything. That was the grade I put on him. I like him a lot better than that. The more I thought about it, the more I watched him against you know good players and good defenses like Utah. I said this guy is going to be good. He's probably going to end up one of the five best receivers when it's all said and done. So, will he be the fifth one drafted? Probably not. But to me. He's he's I underestimated him early in the process. I, I go with was the guy really good and productive and do all of his reports say that he's very smart because you know, yeah. having spent enough time in the locker room um, the dummies don't last all that long, you know, unless you are some kind of uh, absolute freak. But if you can't uh, pick up on football and how it really works, you're just going to be done even if you are a freak. So, uh, Eric, well, yep. I appreciate you coming on. I know that you have all sorts of things to do, and apparently you have become your own IT guy from Twitter, setting up your, your entire uh, thing there. So uh, I wish you a very fun draft night, and we will get together again soon. Thanks for your time, buddy. All right, hope you have a great night, too. See you. Yep, you too. All right, one of the OGs of the draft game, Eric Edholm. Make sure you follow him and his work at uh, Yahoo Sports. So I've got here to wrap up this portion of 36 Hours of Purple, which we are now in, what, hour seven? Is this what this is? Uh, well, Next hour? You're asking me to do 12, math real quick. Um, whatever. Seven, so, yeah. all right, we've got a long no, way seven. to go in our 36 Hours of Purple, and I will be back with Rami from 6 to 8. We've got some fun stuff coming up, including another OG, uh, Dan Shanka from Our Lads. And Dan Shanka is, when I say OG, I mean one of the very original, like Mel Kuyper level OGs, and he's going to be on with us at 630. Uh, Always appreciate catching up with him and Eric Edholm, these guys who have done it for a long time. And just as a side note, you want to follow people who do the reporting, who have sources that they've built up for a very long time, not just guesswork, but going out and actually doing the legwork that forms what everyone else steals their mock drafts from. Just that's a little <laughs> side point for how to get the best draft coverage from people like Eric. Anyway, uh, kick me up some NFL music here because I've got an ESPN article, 10 players who could be traded on draft night from Dan Graziano. Oh. And I want to go through them and see if there's any we like. The first one is Yannick Ngakwe. And uh, if the Vikings just moved on from one player who tweeted about their situation, (laughs) I don't think they would go for another one. Now, he has 37 and a half sacks already, and he's only 25 years old. The problem is that defensive end prices have just gone through the roof. And this would be the argument for the Vikings potentially drafting one is... At some point, Daniil Hunter comes back to you and says, Yeah, this contract that I have, not good. It's a Scottie Pippen contract for anyone who watched Last Dance. (laughs) And uh, Daniil Hunter might want a little bit more cheese. So if you already are going to be paying him a decent amount of money, you could draft one, develop them, try to have a rotation, rather than someone like Yannick Ngakwe, who, think about how much defensive ends believe they're worth that he does not want to play on a one-year $17.8 million franchise tag. And he's... tweet. He's, that's crazy. He's arguing on Twitter with the owner of the team. I know. That is so crazy. As a player, I would definitely take him. But oh, for yeah. that price, they no. couldn't possibly make it work. Now, you want to get super bold? You want to get absurdly, preposterously bold? I'm in. Harrison Smith for Jamal Adams trade. That would be you get crazy. Younger. 
but you get the same player for younger. Yeah. Um, Jamal Adams wants out of New York, which, you know, don't blame him. Adam Gase is his coach. <laughs> what you're really seeing now is, and I don't know how they felt about this in the 80s, for example, but we really know which coaches manipulate their players at this point yep. because it, it is not hidden with the presence of social media. That would be super bold. A little less bold would be Anthony Harris for Jamal Adams and draft stock and so forth. Jamal Adams is one of the most instinctual, dynamic safeties in the league. And if you're not going to have great quarter uh, cornerback play, if you can have amazing safety play, maybe you've got yourself a shot. Still, this is a guy who wants a new contract. But if you were saying, what would you rather do? Would you rather trade Anthony Harris and like a second to, to New York to get Jamal Adams and then you sign him to a big contract? Rather with that one. Extreme long shot, but in my brain, I can make it work. Mike Zimmer did say defense is a young man's game. So is, if yep, you're getting true. Harrison Smith, who's getting into his 30s, and you have Jamal Adams, who's, what, 26? Yep. You get him four years younger, you get another four years of top-end safety play. I'd take it. Can't see it, but I would do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, if you were going to do the Harrison Smith for Jamal Adams, then you would also maybe draft your other safety in mm-hmm. Antoine Winfield Jr. or something there and then go. trade away Anthony Harris. And now we've become Madden. Uh, <laughs> Leonard yes. Fournette is the hardest pass of all time for me. Yep. And you would just be, skip right past that If one. the Vikings had no running back, he'd be the hardest pass for all time. He's not yeah. a good running back in the NFL. Trent Williams, we've been over a bunch of times. The answer is yes for me, but uh, from Josina Anderson's report, does not seem like it's going to happen. And the Vikings may have overplayed their hand a little, thinking that they could come in with a pretty mediocre offer. But then you sent me a clip of Dan Patrick, yeah. not the crazy psycho Dan Patrick politician from Texas, but like right. the sports reporter. The uh, good Dan Patrick, yeah. Saying that... He thinks that Trent Williams will get a first-round pick? Yeah, he said on his show this morning that his source... I'm just going to read the quote here. I was just told that the Washington football squad will trade Trent Williams and get a number one pick and then use that pick on an offensive lineman. And my source still believes that Chase Young is going Mm. to Washington. Well, I believe the second part. The first part, I don't know. A one for a 31-year-old? Or 30-whatever he is? Yeah, 30-32. Yeah. Turns 32 in July. I I may have been saying 33, and I'm sorry if I made that mistake, but 32. Um, Yeah. I don't see it. I don't see a first-round pick. They have no real leverage. Now, you could create some sort of a war with teams who really want him, but even then, the fact that you have to sign him to a bunch of money uh, totally brings down his value. Right. Uh, Matthew Juden, outside linebacker from the Ravens. No, not really necessary. No. Here's the interesting one. Joe Thune mm-hmm. from the Patriots, the guard. There have been some reports that you know Miami might be interested in getting him. Uh, if the Vikings wanted to get him and sign him to a new contract, because right now he's in for almost $15 million for this year. That's too much for a guard. Mm-hmm. But you could create the space by trading Anthony Harris, who is on this list. And like I said earlier, at some point... You have to find good guards and, and and just hope that Garrett Bradbury improves. But you've got to find some good guards. Otherwise, it's the same thing is going to keep repeating itself against every good defense that the Vikings play, where the interior of your line just gets mauled and you have no answer. And every loss they had is exactly that. Uh, O.J. Howard, not really interested in O.J. Howard. They've already got two good tight ends. Now, if you were going to make the case... That you trade Kyle Rudolph again. This gets to very mad and like, yes. oh, all right, we're going to move every old player, uh, but I don't think they're going to do that. And 
Really, if you kept with this Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith combination for a while, I don't think you're in bad shape for another couple of years because Irv Smith is so dynamic. Andy Dalton, of course, not interested. And Elshon Jeffrey, interested, but his money is tough. Not at that price. Yeah, his money is tough. $9.9 million guaranteed. However... Anthony Harris, they lost Malcolm Jenkins. I don't know. Did they sign another safety? I don't think so. They're not. The Vikings aren't trading with the Eagles ever again, though, because they they trade for (laughs) Sam Bradford. The guy who was their first-round pick with the Sam Bradford pick ends up with a huge strip sack in the Super Bowl on your field. Like That's not going to happen again, I don't think. But the Elshon Jeffrey thing is mildly interesting to me just because you do need another wide receiver, and it's almost found money, the Anthony Harris thing, if they can't agree to a contract extension. So those are your your trades that could potentially happen. Um, not that I feel bad for Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, and Jameis Winston because they've all made a lot of money playing football, but um, three good quarterbacks who just don't yeah. have jobs, and I don't know where they're going to land. So, all right, uh, Mackie Judd with Rami coming up next. And another reminder, 6 to 8 tonight, Rami and I will be on. And then 8 o'clock in the morning tomorrow with Sage Jeremiah Searles also is going to come on. And Sam Monson in the 9 o'clock hour. 36 hours of purple presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. We keep the party going for a very long time leading you up to the NFL draft. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.